This is Todd from the Junkyard Outreach. Welcome and thanks for joining me. For more information and episodes, check out junkyardoutreach.com. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Throughout the scriptures, there have been people used mightily by God who were nothing special and oftentimes seen as unlikely candidates to be used by God in any real significant way. But upon closer examination, we see that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church what actually is rooted not just in the New Testament, but all the way back into the book of Genesis where many of the heavy hitters were just screwy people. And when I first started doing ministry stuff, I failed miserably. And I watched these other people doing Bible studies, playing worship music and other things. And I wanted to do these things, but I couldn't seem to make it happen. And long story short, when I realized what a miserable failure I was on my own doing ministry, then I put my life in God's hands and asked him to send me wherever he wanted. And where he sent me didn't exactly land on my top five. But this principle that Paul shares about what is low and despised, it's not only a refreshing reality to those of us who are really dumb in many things, but it's also a foundation of ministry that a person walking with Jesus needs to be lowly and humble. And that's hard when you have a fat head, especially like I do. I found out over the years, I have to humble myself because I get arrogant. God's like, I'm not using you, man. And things start falling apart. And I'm like, great. But I have to come back to that place and realize, you know, it's God doing the work and it's always him. There's no glory in me. There's nothing that I do that I get glory for. It's all God's glory. That's a hard pill to swallow, but it's the truth. In Romans 12, 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And once I got this message in my head, with a little help from the Lord, allowing me to crash and burn a few times, it began to make sense. God doesn't want the superstars for ministry. He wants the outcasts. He wants those who are seen as nobodies in society so that we may always look at the success in our lives and attribute it to God because obviously we couldn't have done it ourselves. Whereas many mighty people of the world with their long list of accomplishments have a tougher time giving glory to God because they think it's all their hard work. And it's not. Yeah, they work hard, but the success of the ministry, that which is eternal, that which lasts, that's all what God does. God's the one that knows eternity. He's the one that knows how to influence people to influence others for eternity, to prepare them for eternity. It's not us. We just share. We're just a mouthpiece. And that doesn't mean at all that God doesn't love mighty people. Rather, it just means that they may have a harder time attributing the success to God because they're used to succeeding on their own. So those unlikely characters who God used, they're seen throughout the scriptures. Here's a few of them. So let's start with Jesus. To many, Jesus seemed unqualified in John 1, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. So even Jesus himself, on the surface, from a worldly perspective, he didn't have a whole lot to brag about. In Isaiah 53, 2, it says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So that's an Old Testament 
prophecy about Jesus. And from a worldly perspective, Jesus did not have a lot on the surface, so he was rejected by many. Simon and Andrew, and later John and James, were all fishermen, hardly qualified for ministry in the eyes of many. But God used them, not to mention the other disciples, who were nothing special in the eyes of the world. They didn't have a whole lot of bullet statements on a resume that were impressive. It says in Matthew 4, 18, while walking on the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And he did. Look at Moses. The world wasn't the one that thought Moses was totally unfit for ministry. It was Moses himself. He did not want to follow God's path laid out for him. He felt totally unqualified, and really it appears he just didn't want to do what God was telling him to do. He seemed to be kind of comfy in the land of Midian there. In Exodus 3.10, it says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that he may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So that starts the conversation. Rather than saying, right on, let's do this, Lord. Moses is saying, eh, this, is, this is a little off the wall. I'm not going to do this. I can relate to Moses. Many times in my life, I have known the will of God. I knew it. I knew I needed to do something. I knew God was speaking to me, and I did not want to do it. But I had to learn, like Moses learned, that where God guides, he provides. And if you go where he tells you to go, then you're going to be blessed. This did not at all come naturally for me, and it didn't come naturally for Moses either. And after a lengthy lecture by God encouraging Moses to do what God was asking him to do, which takes up nearly a chapter, Moses ends the conversation with a plea to have somebody else do it. In Exodus 4.10 it says, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. So God right there is like, look, man, I got this, Moses, just go. And then Moses replies in verse 13, but he said, oh Lord, please send someone else. God got angry with Moses and he gave him a quick tune-up before sending him on his way. But how many times are we just like Moses? You know, I don't want to do this, God. No, I feel the calling to do this. No, I don't really want to do it. And God the whole time is going, I'm going to take care of you. The prophet Isaiah, he considered himself totally unfit for ministry. But what's interesting is what happened to him in Isaiah chapter 6 before he volunteers to go where God wants to send him. And it says in verse 5, and this is Isaiah having a vision of being in the presence of God, communicating with God. And when he was in that presence, it freaked him out. And he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So right there in that vision, God shows Isaiah, I'm taking care of your guilt. Your sin is taken care of. And we don't know a lot about Isaiah before this, but we know he's guilty and we know he needed to have his sins atoned for. God was about to call Isaiah and prepare him for ministry, and Isaiah had to have his guilt removed and his sin atoned for, or temporarily covered, that's what atonement means, it means covered, awaiting that sacrifice of Christ to permanently take away or cleanse him of his sin. That's what happened on the cross. When the perfect sacrifice was made, all the sin of the world was taken care of. Isaiah's in the presence of God, and all this is happening, and he's like, I am lost. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. I am hosed. I am so unworthy. But then, and in verse 8 it says, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, this is Isaiah, Here I am, Lord, send me. I'm ready. Let's do this. So what had happened? God cleansed him 
and then he jumps on board. I want to serve God now. I am right with God. And a lot of times in our lives, that sin, that guilt that we have puts a barrier between us. And that's what Christ is for. You come to Christ, and he takes the sin away. Jeremiah was a youth when God called him. In the eyes of the people, he would be considered a child, lacking not only knowledge and experience, but also wisdom. But God uses him. In chapter 1, verse 4 of Jeremiah's book, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So right there, Jeremiah gets a commission. God's like, I'm going to be with you. He was a kid, and they didn't listen to him. But he declared the word of the Lord and got himself in all kinds of hot water. But God always delivered him. He was there. Gideon, he was a man back in the book of Judges who had a major inferiority complex in Judges 6.14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. I can't do this. He didn't get it, but he did, ultimately. And when he did get it, God did great things through Gideon. So studying the scriptures and the people God used is overwhelmingly evident that God chooses the foolish, the weak, the low people to do his work. So how do you measure up? Does the Lord want to use you in some way? Are you afraid, lack confidence, lack strength, or anything else that would prevent a person from wanting to step out into an adventure of faith? If you do, guess what? You qualify to be used by God. Thank you.